Good morning, diners and travelers. You listened on the menu with Ann and Peter Haig, and today we're going to bring you, I believe, our fourth installment of our Ireland experience um, with some outstanding guests, starting with one of my new best buddies, uh, Matt Orlando, um, who was, he's, he's so thoughtful, he even brought his mother to the conference, <laughs> and she was delighted. Anyhow, let's listen to Matt. <clears throat> okay. Matt Orlando, um, we've been following you for so many years, and you ascend into a chef stardom. Um, there was a lot I never knew about you, though, such as you were from, you said, San Diego? Yes, born and raised, born and raised in San Diego. I left San Diego in 2001 and made my way out to New York. And from there, I ended up, I was there for almost, I was there for four years and ended up in England after that. And then to Denmark and then back to New York and then back to Denmark. Where did you work in New York? The first time I was there, I worked for Charlie Palmer at Oriole up on 61st Street when it was still up there. That was 2001. Uh, then I was at La Verna Den. And then I was in Europe. In Europe, uh, I worked at Le Manoir, The Fat Duck, and Noma. And then I came back to New York as the executive sous chef at Per Se. And then, and then back to uh, Denmark as the head chef at Noma. And then opened a mass. Thomas is a friend of ours. Thomas is wonderful. He actually invested in a mass. Yeah. Um, your current restaurant is a mass, and it, uh, it just came under the books with so much ink and, and excitement. Um, why? I think we are... I think the biggest reason is that we're our heads are in a different place when we're cooking. Our heads are first and foremost paying attention to the products that we're using and trying to use them in the most responsible way possible and just respecting them. You know, a lot of people talk about respecting your products, but are you really respecting your products? Are you really examining every single piece of it? Um, chances are no. I mean, carrot tops, are you... Of course, you can chop them up and put them in staff salad or make a grim a lot of it, but if you just take 10% more effort, you can turn them into something that tastes like seaweed. Well, you demonstrated that today in your uh, food on the edge um, uh, session. What do we call this? You, it's waste, not one, not. How do you describe what you're doing? Um, I think, for me, we have a kind of a saying that... Uh, there's no such thing as a byproduct, only another product. And a big part of that phrase is that we need to start to learn another language about these ingredients. The words waste and trash and all that stuff, I think we need to, I mean, waste or trash cooking was a kind of a, a trendy term for a while. But if we keep calling it that, I think that's all it's ever going to be. I think we need to start calling these just another product that we are that we're using that we should use because it's there and it has loads of flavor sometimes better flavor than the original part of the ingredient well you, you know you you threw some numbers around which i thought uh, they were pretty amazing numbers about um like uh, how many liters of this and how many you know i mean it, it, huge numbers what given us a, a rundown of some of the uh, the quantities you save by not throwing out but reusing and creating new products from your so-called scraps so i mentioned the egg white one and 
through various products with egg whites, we are actually able to save about 520 liters of product that would be, or kilos, should I say, that would otherwise be going to the bin. We we also do we save a lot of our coffee grinds. We are all of our coffee grinds. Tell us about that. So we do coffee grinds. I'm glad you asked because coffee grinds were actually, as we call in the kitchen, it was like our entry gateway drug to this, where we actually we have we do all of our coffee is poured uh, V60 pour over. So we generally at the end of the night there was a five liter container of used coffee grinds and I would walk by it every night and I could smell it one day I I don't know why this day was different I walked by it and I smelled it and I kind of stopped and I said if I can smell it then you must be able to taste it how can we then take these coffee grinds and extract whatever flavors are left in there infusing them into oils uh we roast all of our beetroots inside of used coffee grinds because they start to taste like licorice. So all the same, and that's so. If you look at a five five liters of coffee grinds every single day, we're open. We're open forty nine weeks a year at five days a week. I mean, do the math. That's an incredible load, way more than the egg whites. We tasted the vinegar you made from these. I was just blown away by this. And I mean, I have, you know, you, you know about our excessive performing and everything else. We end up with, I don't know how many um, um, Jerusalem artichokes. And I'm thinking, uh, what to do with them? You know, you could stew them, you could do this, you could boil them. But I'm thinking pickling is the answer. And I'm thinking pickling in that vinegar would be superb. Could I do it? Absolutely. All the a big thing um, that we're trying to do with these processes and into, I mean, I'm, I think we're trying to look at the bigger picture. You know, of course, we have a restaurant, we run a restaurant, and we want to do delicious food. But if you think of what a restaurant is, it's a, a materialistic thing. So, how do we give a mass substance? We want to we want to leave behind information that people can use in the future, and. A big part of this is doing all these processes with normal kitchen equipment. We don't want to bring in centrifuges and photo and rotovaps and all this crazy high-tech equipment because then it becomes inaccessible. And if we want to be able to give this information to chefs to be able to use, then we need to be able to do it ourselves with normal kitchen equipment. So absolutely, yes, you can do it. But you keep talking about modifying used refrigerators and things. <laughs> You you can also modify. I mean, when I was in high school, we modified used refrigerators into things we can pour beer out of. Yeah, so <laughs> kegerators. So it's definitely all the all the stuff that we're using to modify are stuff you can buy at your normal hardware store, heaters and, and temperature gauges and stuff like that. So it's definitely possible. Um, I, I want to know how you got or how you continue to get on manager because of the nature of the business. All of your crew, your staff, on on board for this, because it's labor-intensive stuff. It is, and I think the most important that, thing that I've learned is that you, you can't just tell your staff what to do. You have to show them what to do, and by getting your hands dirty and actually showing them, okay, take this, take these egg whites, and you're going to hang them overnight. And then start to go through the whole, talk them through the process and really get them involved instead of just giving them a recipe and saying, do this. Getting them involved and then most importantly, as I, we talked about the amounts that you save at the end or 
when you show that number to someone, it becomes very real. Because when you talk about 10 kilos, 20 kilos, that's, that's, that's not an amount that you're like, wow, that's a lot. But when you talk about a half a ton, that's an amount that makes a big difference. And no, we, re, we started a long time ago to actually save all the water in our kitchen. Um, water, like either they're from water baths or the circulators or, you know, we put water bottles on the table for the guests and if they don't pour, if water doesn't get any water that's left in the bottle that's not poured into their glass, we save, we take all this water, we boil it, and then we use that water to wash all of our floors. And, yeah, and so that is 80 liters a day of water that normally would go down the drain. That's over 5,000 liters a year. And it's those are the numbers that convince people that this is the right thing to do. You're touching on this uh, cleanliness thing, and um, which leads me to think of safety. Uh, you are an expert in fermentation, which is something that we're all madly in love with at the moment, but it's gone on since the dawn of civilization. Um, you have very particular. Um, controls over sanitation so you don't kill all of your diners. Tell us some of these. I mean, I, I would say the most important control is um, monitoring your pH levels because the pH level really defines how safe and what bacteria potentially could be growing in that. Another is just using your intuition, using your tasting, smelling, be hypersensitive to if you smell something that is just 5% different than you've smelled before, don't don't kind of discard that as not relevant. Really, it should trigger something in you that says, okay, maybe I should take the pH reading again, just to be certain. Or, again, one of the most important control points that we use is we actually work with the university to actually get things tested in a way more scientific way than we could ever do at the restaurant, way more than a pH level. So partnering with an educational uh, institution really is, is helpful in that way. But now, with the, how do you check this pH level and what is the safe? I mean, my idea is um, I think if I put enough salt in something, <laughs> you know, and, and acid, that nothing's going to grow in there. I guess that's true to a certain extent. If... Uh, if you overload it with salt and vinegar, you, you're probably going to be pretty safe. Um, but you'll never achieve the the flavors maybe you want from a fermentation. Um, if you if you overload it with salt, then it ceases to, ceases to become a fermentation. Um, it's just a preservation. Really? Uh, the same with vinegar. If you're pickling something with straight vinegar, then you you won't really get a fermentation process out of that because you will actually kill all microbes that exist. Is this true of my preserved lemons that are soaking around in their kosher salt and lemon juice at home? Uh, absolutely. They're, you said the word yourself, preserved, not fermented. Right. Oh, boy. And what about anaerobic? I worry about that, too, anaerobic bacteria. So that, that anaerobic is a fermentation that involves no oxygen. Right. Um, and that's a... That is a safer fermentation. A lot of our lactic fermentations that we do are anaerobic uh, because it is a, it's a bit more of a controlled environment. That's not to say they can't go wrong because they very, they were, very well can be. It just takes one tiny microbe that shouldn't be, long, shouldn't be there. And, it, it's, that's how, and that's how sensitive fermentation is. And a microbe 
is obviously you can't even see it. It's it's something that's so minute. And like I said, the the, the wrong one, and it takes one of them to basically ruin a whole pot of whatever you're fermenting. I think that's scary, and that's why a lot of people don't really do this. I mean, I still remember having canned tomatoes that my mother and grandmother made explode on the shelf. <laughs> that's fermentation. <laughs> yeah, when your can of when your can of tomatoes or your jar of tomatoes that you preserved explodes, you that's fermentation gone wrong. Well, there's this whole scientific world out there to know, and I share with you the idea that I've successfully kept Peter from hanging a duck in our basement. <laughs> but you, you get into this world of we have all these little um, buggy things in our gut, yeah. and, and you want to feed them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think a lot of fermentations um, can be a very positive thing. And as you said, this the the folia that we have in our gut needs to be fed. And there are certain foods you can eat and di- different fermented products that you can eat that are, have a very positive effect on that. Well, you had a great audience today. Uh, as you predicted, we had quite a lot of salt. And in the words of a friend chef of mine, after we had a, a salt tasting, I feel a bit like a bacala. <laughs> yeah, salted and preserved from the inside out. <laughs> um, any other words you want to say about a mass besides what you talked about is your strength there? I mean, I, I think a mass is what, what we really want it to be is a hopefully to have an impact on the industry. And, you know, you mentioned that you knew Thomas Keller. And um, one of the one of the things that he taught me is that if you're going to do something, make sure you're doing it with the intention to have impact. And this is this is something that I rings through through a mass. And what we're, what we're trying to do and in the, in the message we're trying to communicate, hopefully will have a positive impact on the industry in the long run. This has been the highlight of my conference so far. Matt Orlando, just meeting you and talking to you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Did, did we remember to mention that the Matt's restaurant is in, Den- is in Denmark? Well, I, was it you listened to the interview? Did no, <laughs> yeah, no, he, it, is in, it is in Denmark, but, but along, along, the, along the way and just before he started his own restaurant, he was the executive chef at Per Se in New York City. Oh, he's, he's he's cooked everywhere. I mean, he's America, but he's traveled all over the place. And, and if you want, if you want someone to consult with about sustainability, Matt's your man. And in the meantime, we're, it's time for us to take a break, and then we'll be right back. So don't go away. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. I guess we could actually subtitle this uh, a whole program for for today. Um, These are some of our favorite people. Um, Our our next two guests, Enda McAvoy and Jess Murphy, uh, we met on our last trip to Western Ireland and uh, have followed their careers. Uh, Jess and I follow each other on Twitter, so we, we keep up. Yeah, and she and she got a Michelin. What, what do they call those? The, the, yeah. the, the special awards. Bib. 
the Bibber Wars. Yeah. And, uh, we, we, and, uh, and, 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 and got a one Michelin star the first year they were open. Yes. That was like three, He's very three, talented. three years ago. They, they have something else in common. They're both in business with their spouses. Right. So in the, in the case of Jess, her husband David Murphy does front of house. And in the case of Ender McAvoy, his wife, Sinead or Sinead or however you pronounce it, she does front of house and he's the chef. Yeah, and they have four kids. Last time we talked to them, they only really had two. <laughs> so we, so we know what else they're doing well. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's do, shall we, let's do Ender McAvoy and Jess Murphy. In that order. Well, this is a reunion of sorts. Um, we, we were talking, I think, um, about four or five years ago to end a, about opening this restaurant. End of McAvoy, your uh, restaurant ended up being called Loam. Um, let's just sort of recap um, a little bit about your background and then why. Why the name? I mean, I can guess, but maybe you should just spell it out. So, a little bit about your background as a chef. Um, well, I suppose we, we first met when I was the head chef in Anir, also in Galway. Yeah, that was, um, I suppose, uh, six years ago, six, five or six years ago. Um, and uh, I was the opening chef there, um, and we won a star after 13 months. And after two years, I left Anir. And um, went on to because yeah, we always had a kind of a plan to open up uh, a restaurant somewhere, and uh, we were kind of looking outside of uh, outside of Galway. Uh, we wanted a kind of a destination restaurant um, with rooms, and we had a premises all organised, but that kind of fell through. But uh, it was kind of a blessing because it would have turned into a bit of a money pit in hindsight. And then this uh, this space opened up, um, and. Uh, yeah, we kind of just went for it. It was a big, huge space, as you discovered last night. <laughs> um, you named loam, which is earth, dirt. Um, that probably indicates the direction your cooking goes in. Um, yeah, it's uh, I, I, it's really hard to name a restaurant. Um, it's and like. I just wanted to tell you a funny one. With one in Pittsburgh named itself Bitter Ends. Would you name a restaurant Bitter Ends? Uh, probably not. But that's a good name, though. Uh, well, no, it kind of it depends on what uh, what you're serving as well, I suppose. But um, like you kind of want to ideally encapsulate what you're doing, and uh, you need to have a short name for people to remember as well, and uh, it has to be kind of. Um, has to make you think or kind of wonder why it's called that or what the, what the word means. And I think like loam is kind of a, it's, it's kind of an obvious word if you think about it, but it's not really. People kind of they don't know they don't know what it means or then they do know what it means and they don't know why you have it. But I think loam kind of encapsulates what we do because I mean everything has to come from the soil anyway. Even like cows eat grass, uh, animals eat grass, all the vegetables. Uh, loamy soil is the best, really the most nutrient rich soil that uh, you can grow vegetables in. Um, a louder. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, it really kind of, um, for me, I think it encapsulates what we do here. Because um, everything comes from the earth around Galway, like, you know. Yeah, no, I, I mentioned, um, to, is that your Sue in there? No, he's, yeah, okay. He, um, I was telling him, uh, talking about celeriac, uh, and um, I told him about this great winter salad I discovered that I make, which includes, um, you know, shaved celeriac and fennel. Yeah. And, 
with lights green olives. He said, you're not allowed to use olives here. Uh, yeah, very, very strict guidelines and uh, what we're, <laughs> we're allowed to or not allowed to use. It's all decided by me. Um, but like, uh, we, we deal directly with farmers. Uh, we don't deal with any big suppliers apart from um, bulk oil and salt. Um, and uh, even with wine, we deal with small suppliers. Like you know, um, we kind of as much as, we, as much as possible, we try and cut out the middleman, go direct to source, which means that it's a little bit more work at the beginning. But then the, our suppliers know what we want before we even know what we want. You know, and um, we have access to things that we wouldn't normally have access to, especially with vegetables. We have like one main vegetable supplier, two friends of ours out in Lockray that grow all of our vegetables. Well, eighty percent of our vegetables through the year. Just a couple really old friends of mine actually. Um, and we meet with them like three times a year to discuss what they're going to sow for the subsequent year and we guarantee that we're going to buy all that off them, you know. Uh, even if there's some sort of failures, we'll, we'll come to some sort of agreement. Um, they organise the CSA as well. Um, yeah, so their CSA drop-off point is here. So, um, yeah, so I mean, uh, like all of our meat comes from one supplier. There's old friends of ours as well, um, Castle Mine, and they know like at what age we like lamb to be butchered at, how long we want it to be um, aged for etc etc you know and um, all of our fish comes from um, like uh, small boats that go out uh, in Rossville and it's through one supplier Gannett who again knows what we want as well like you know and they actually go out of the way now to source stuff for us like uh, Ikijimi uh, fish and it's fish that's killed in a particular way to oh, yeah. preserve the freshness and there's, there's one boat now going out in this bottom that's um, starting to do that but um, and I said if we weren't here to kind of maybe uh, buy products like this, then people wouldn't bother to try and produce it, you know, and I'm not saying that, like, we're, God, we're great, but um, I think it's important to, it's important to, um, for suppliers to have an outlet as well, you know, as opposed to just trying to guess what the, the customer wants, the customer kind of has to demand a little bit as well, like us being the customer, you know, so. Yeah, we, we know chefs um, at home that um, they meet with their growers and actually specify things they want grown, um, and in exchange there's a commitment to buy all of it. Um, yeah, uh, this, the biggest thing is, is uh, there has to be a commitment or some sort of guarantee that the, uh, the restaurant is going to enter into a long-term relationship. You know, and whatever relationship, there has to be a compromise. You know, so um, there has to be a compromise in the sense that maybe there will be failures, or maybe there will be a big storm, and um, you're not you're not going to get exactly what you want. Or if you, if you if you get the farmer to grow a particular type of vegetable for you, maybe it won't be able to grow in that soil. Maybe the soil isn't suitable for kohlrabi, or you know. So mm -hmm. there has to be um, a commitment in the sense that if, especially with vegetables, because it takes so long for them to grow and it takes up so much space, that um, if the if the farmer's going to put down uh, and take off that much space and time, there has to be a commitment that they're not going to turn around and go, actually, I don't want that. I've changed my mind. You know? So there has to be kind of a long-term commitment um, if you're dealing directly with farmers. And, like, big suppliers, uh, they do kind of make a long-term commitment, but they, they um, exert uh, kind of unfeasible demands on farms that, like, um, you know, be that with price or uh, size or you know, uniformity, you know, which isn't really feasible for, right. for small farms, right. unless they start to use uh, a lot of chemicals, which isn't really, that's not what we're about, like, so. You know, I, I had asked you when I talked to you before um, dinner about a la carte, and you said you didn't do it, but it looks to me like this is almost an a la carte, the simplicity menu. And then you have um, 
you have the um, extended menu, which is how many courses? And then um, nine courses tasting, which is, of course, what we did, right? Um, is that the correct image of, which most people, you were packed last night. Yeah. Uh, is that a, the correct description of what you offer? Um, yeah, so during the week we do a small a la carte, uh, so that'll be Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday through Thursday, um, we do a small a la carte, um, so that's two, me- two starters, uh, on face? No, starters, what are they? Yeah, yeah, two starters, two main courses, and one dessert and a cheese board. And then, um, like mostly what we, we do is a taste menu, which would be seven course and nine course. And that, um, it kind of changes with the season, um, depending on... Hey, uh, what's available? Um, but there's certain things that we kind of we have a structure that we work around. Um, you know, there's been kind of a, a pushback against what's called tweezer food in the states, but your whole kitchen's involved with tweezers. I mean, they they're all going to have back problems from leaning over with their tweezers. Uh, <laughs> do you want to defend your tweezer? Um. Yeah, it's funny. Um, it's this is a tool, like you know. It'd be like a. There's always, there'll always be a backlash against something. Um, we find them handy because we're just a lot of uh, men in the kitchen with big man fingers that uh, sometimes you can't. Uh, you need to use uh, tweezers to pick up pick up something that's kind of delicate. Um, tweezers. Oh, sorry, uh, tweezers. They're very handy for taking out fish bones. You can't do that with your fingers. Um, there, it's a tool that we find useful. Um, I think it's uh, it's funny for there to be a, like a backlash against uh, <laughs> like a, a something that that is, is kind of handy. Well, it's it's not so much the, the tweezer itself; it's the kind of meticulously um, presented, precisely placed elements in these the small portions and so forth that they're talking about. I mean, they're they're into um, more casual. Filling kinds of foods. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like I suppose the the kind of food that we do uh, is kind of you know small portions, but um, we hope that it's uh, first and foremost uh, tasty and delicious, and it and it delivers the kind of like um, kind of uh, feeling of uh, here. You know, uh, it 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 uh, brings out the ingredients to its. Um, Upmost, and uh, it doesn't look too fussy. Um, I hope it looks natural on the place, but that's kind of what we're kind of going for, you know. Uh, well, my favorite, by the way, and I, I could have had it three times the size as the squid with the shiitake and egg. I love that. Um, could you just pick out some more of these things that we had and just to tell our, uh, give our our listeners some idea of the, the kinds of Taste and flavor profiles that you use. Um, so we try to be as vegetable focused as possible and um, use kind of sustainable fish. Uh, kind of be a bit, bit, bit more mindful of uh, the ingredients that we use. We don't use a huge amount of meat. When meat exists, it's uh, it's in a pretty small portion and it's the vegetable that kind of hopefully stands to the fore. But um, like uh, for instance, like the scallop and beetroot, I like that because it's. The beetroot stands in a similar sort of texture to the to the scallop, 
um, the beetroot is salt based, salt baked, um, so it gets it's very juicy and it's seasoned the whole way through and it's cut into very thin slices, as is the scallop, and the scallop is seasoned with yeah. its own roe and uh, kind of a, a spicy horseradish cream. And the pine is a uh, pine vinegar, it's pine tips that we picked uh, last year and uh, turned into a vinegar, and that's just sprayed on it. Um, the squid dish, it's been on since maybe it's been on like three years now. Um, and I, I kind of, we've had dishes that were really popular before, and um, I, ha I kind of have a, a reaction to things that are popular because I just want to take them off then and kind of move on to the next thing. Because um, if something's, if it was too popular, then people are just coming back for that, and it kind of overshadows other things that we, we do. But this is one that um, I, re I really like, you know, because it, it takes um, a little bit of tech. It's very simple, but it takes a little bit of technique to get right. Um, so basically, the squid is cleaned. Um, it's uh, the the bodies are stacked and frozen, and then they're sliced really thin like a noodle, um, and they're cooked just really briefly in uh, uh, burnt butter. That's just uh, really not too far above body temperature until um, they just separate, and uh, then they're strained and seasoned with. Uh, with lemon juice and seaweed, and then there's a slow cooked egg and a dashi made from um, made from shiitakes that are grown down in the Ballyhura Mountains and in Cork. Well, that's what I asked you about. Yeah, um, but they're, they're uh, the Ballyhura uh, Mushroom Company. They're really nice people. Sorry. Yeah, uh, the Ballyhura Mushroom Company are really nice people. They're um, she's a mycologist and they live out in the in the mountains and they're just completely obsessed with mushrooms. They grow um, shiitakes and maitake and wow. um, yeah, king oysters and they're amazing mushrooms, amazing flavour like you know. Um, yeah, the raw lamb dish is uh, just new this week. Um, it's just uh, raw lamb from our meat supplier in Castlemine and Roscommon. Um, but I like the kind of interplay with kind of mushrooms. Uh, Lamb and blue cheese, um, and the blue cheese is just frozen and shaved on top of the lamb. Yeah, and uh, the juice is a fermented uh, mushroom juice, so it's kind of like a umami rich sort of soy saucy, really light soy sauce sort of flavor. Um, then the chicken, chicken, it's uh, like a chuan mushi. You know, uh, like so it's like a uh, yeah, so it's like a uh, like a chicken stock and. Uh, and eggs just set into a custard with um, uh, puffed buckwheat on top of it. It's, uh, I think it's nice. It's a nice sort of um, small, comforting little bowl in the middle of your meal of like things that you eat with a knife and fork, and then suddenly there's a little small bowl that you eat with a little spoon, and it's quite like calming and comforting in the middle of the meal. This is, this is the only one I didn't like. <laughs> Do you not like cabbage? I, yeah, I had a whole wedge of it. Yeah. <laughs> I had a whole wedge of it for lunch, <laughs> but I wasn't so sure about cabbage with oyster. Yeah, um, actually, I, I, I really like cabbage and oyster together because um, I think the cabbage, it's kind of briny as well, um, and uh, yeah, I like that's <laughs> it's one of my favorite combinations is cabbage and oyster. But um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, you can get this tasting menu or all the tasting menus and paired them with wine and um, I suggested that they should have a um, 
an entertainment fee for this psalm, who is entertaining, isn't he? What's his name? Uh, Niall. Um, Niall. Yeah, Niall's hilarious. <laughs> but um, don't tell him, though, it'll go to his head. <laughs> um, yeah, Niall's been with us for the last uh, two years now. Um, He's been an uh, amazing addition to the team. Um, he has really gelled the front of house and um, he's just brought a great energy to the place as well. Uh, it's not just for the customers, but uh, for all of us, you know. So, yeah, he's a great addition. Um, I, I was looking at your bookshelf and um, I, I could get a, a profile of your taste in cooking just from your your books that you're reading, you're reading um, you know, books that I love too, the Manresa cookbook and um, the Noma cookbook and uh, what I can't remember what some of the others are, but I could see they were all books that, that I personally value. Um, so is that a correct summation of what your style is? Um, so my, yeah, well, like... My background is in, like, I have a degree in English and sociology, so uh, my background is in uh, reading a lot for when I was uh, in university, um, and I really value books. I've always, uh, I've always been into buying books. Um, even, I've, like, my house is stacked full of uh, all sorts of books, and my wife, Sinead, as well, is uh, obsessed with books, so um, I think that, it, especially recently, in the last five or ten years or so, there's been, like, an explosion of cookbooks and all varying qualities as well, you know. Um, but I really, I, yeah, I, I enjoy because um, we've got four kids. I never get to go anywhere for dinner either, so this is the only way I get to see what's happening around the world as well, I suppose. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy um, kind of seeing what's happening with, with other restaurants and. Um, uh, but yeah, sometimes I, I'm just, I, yeah, I buy too many cookbooks as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now you told us. Uh, we talked about, well five years ago, whatever long it was. You had very distinct goals. Um, did you have to modify these when faced with the reality of actually owning your own restaurant? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we've modified too much. I can't remember what I said to you though. Um, can you remember? No. Okay, well then, no, I think like our goals were to uh, like only use ingredients from the West of Ireland, oh, which is what we do. Um, our goals were to kind of support local farmers, which is what we do. Um, one of the things that we did was uh, we got in touch with, uh, can I, will I tell him to stop? Will I tell him to be quiet? No. Okay. Uh, one of the things was um, we joined the Sustainable Restaurant Association in the UK because there's no kind of support network for restaurants that have a focus on sustainability in Ireland. But um, they've been uh, really good support to us, you know, um, and we were the first restaurant in Ireland to achieve three stars from them, which is great. It was I, I felt it was personally I felt it was a great achievement because it's quite an intense. Um, I suppose process to go through uh, to uh, kind of like a, a lot. It's not a lot of paperwork to fill out, and a lot, a lot of kind of um, meetings with them and stuff like that. But um, yeah, they had enough confidence in, in us to give us uh, three stars, which I thought was great. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I didn't mean to stop you. I just wanted, I just wanted to say something before before we pass it by, and that is that we we talked about the summer already who is quite a character, but 
one of the things that struck me is the service team is just extraordinarily well coordinated and, and, and so, so wonderfully cordial at the same time. It, make, it makes it a pleasure to dine here. And I, I usually get to say where we are. So the, the, the street is something green on the end of it. But, but the neat part about it is it's directly across the street from the train station yeah. and, <laughs> and, and next door to the bus station. <laughs> and, it, and it may be one of the few places in Galway that you have a chance to find a place to park. Yeah. This is true. Um, back to the sustainability, as you know, we were at the Food on the Edge conference and they had multiple uh, sessions on sustainability uh, and I was amazed at the extent to which people have come, you know, how far they've come in this, uh, as to, I mean, like, reusing the, the dishwater to do something, you know, reusing other kinds of water, boiled water, whatever it was, uh, for cleaning dishes and scrubbing the floor. And I mean, just zero, I'm talking about zero um, kitchens. Um, I think it's uh, like it's a it's a, an issue that's coming down the line with um, uh, lots of uh, sustainability issues, like you know, with regards um, food waste, food shortages, um, water shortages, uh, with climate change, everything like this. So I mean, it has to be addressed now. It has to be kind of taken seriously now. So um, that's why for us it is important to kind of focus on um, what we can do for other staff, younger staff that are coming through, like, you know, so they can actually kind of, if when, when they do move on to, when they do move on to open up their own kitchens, that they kind of implement these ideas as well and have it in the forefront rather than kind of repeating old mistakes, you know, because uh, especially with high-end uh, restaurants, there is a lot of waste, you know. Um, there is an awful lot of waste, and historically there has been an awful lot of waste in getting, like, the perfect uh, melon or the perfect tomato, you know. But uh, there is no such thing as like the perfect thing. It's how you treat it, like you know, and how you how it's treated from when it's grown to when it gets to the kitchen to get to when it gets to the the uh, customer. Hang on, I'll just I'll turn it off. <laughs> we're we're getting a signal. It's time to go, folks. It's it, it, it's 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 eleven. It's 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 eleven thirty in the morning. And uh, the kitchen staff's already here. The music is getting louder by the minute. Do you, do you think, Ender, they're giving us a message? Uh, time to go so we can get down to work. <laughs> and, and I'm so happy to see you doing so well after... Uh, you look so excited about starting on this uh, journey, and now you, here you are, and it was packed, as I said. Um, yeah, yeah, every day is, uh, is a challenge, and every year is a challenge, but I mean, um, just no one ever said it was going to be easy, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's been great, it's been great so far, so um, here's the next four years, we're four years in this month, so here's to the next four years, yeah, time flies as well, it just really flew in, um, but I mean, like, uh, yeah, every year was, God, some new challenge, like, you know, um, but it's enjoyable, which is the main thing. You know, and the customers make it really like an awful lot of regular customers in Galway that really kind of supported us uh, for the last four years, and we would be nowhere without them, really. You know. Well, thank you so much, uh, and again, it's great checking in with you. And uh, I guess we have to do it before another four years goes by. <laughs>
Yeah, we wish many more Michelin stars in your future. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was a delight to, to know that you, you got one so quickly. And I'm, sh I'm sure you have your sights set on more. And they'll be well-deserved when you get them. The, the highlight of these conferences, and particularly this one, is you get to see uh, you get to see people that you haven't seen for a while. And I think it was like five years since last I talked to Jess Murphy. Um, uh, you know, one thing I've thought of, I never asked you, what does Kai mean? That's the name of your restaurant. Um, okay, so like Kai means food and Maori, because I'm part Maori and I'm obviously from New Zealand. I'm not. You know, I'm not, obviously, I am a Murphy, but I'm not from Ireland. Um, I went for the name Kai because I just thought, you know, it brings it all home. It's like a bit of home, but, you know, with having Galway and stuff like that. It, yeah, it was just more of a quirky kind of name to stand out a bit more. Uh, now, uh, we, uh, eight years, I said, five years before, although you and I follow each other on the social media and we can sort of keep up. Um Seven years in now with this restaurant. I mean, it's a successful, it's a, a popular restaurant. You got a Bib Gourmand Award from Michelin. Tell us what that meant. Um, well, I think, you know, they really made me work my ass off for it because I got it seven years later where everybody else in Ireland seems to get them in the first year. So, I don't know. I mean, we did, we did a lot different, you know, we did a bit different... You know, we really focused on, you know, what we were going to use. And I just drove my shit south forward. And, you know, after every busy summer, just reinvested in either myself learning or a new piece of equipment to help us get by. I mean, we all got new table, tables and chairs. And, you know, we just did it slowly. And um, they said, you know, they basically, you know, congratulated us for our style of cooking. And they really appreciated the reflection from the west of Ireland, but also the, the the menu is different. Like it's a real, well, for me, it's a Kiwi Irish yeah. kind of menu. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, you are obviously a, a Kiwi. Um, but how would you describe, how would you describe what a combination or blend of Kiwi Irish is in your menu? It's a very comfortable space. And your food is tasty, delicious, and easy, accessible. Tell us more. Um, well, I really focus on flavor. Uh, so I use, you know, obviously quite a lo lot of the local bits and pieces. A huge thing for me was food waste, especially after working with Mazimo, mm -hmm. to focus on. So, um, you know, to really, to have, like, I really love ironic dishes like we have the grilled, you know, quarter of the cabbage, because I always love that Cobb salad in the States, but I was like, how can we do that really well, and you know, like, so we have the, the, the grilled cabbage with the roasted grapes and the Corlegi raw milk sheep's cheese that we have on, and you know, it really sums up that flavor, everything has to have flavor, I don't, I'm not a Nordic restaurant, I'm not a Nordic girl, um, although I do love buttermilk, and oysters, I love those combinations, but I really think, you know, like, I, it's, I basically look at the, the sea, the land, and I just look at what the growers are growing, like, I, like I'll have turnip galettes braised and goy hook a beer, um, I'll have raw milk 
ice cream on uh, with, um, you know, like, say, a pumpkin cream and a coffee syrup, and, you know, I call that the spice pumpkin latte. Because you have to pull the piss out of what you're doing, and because you're in the kitchen for 14 hours a day, you've got to have fun. And that's why our desserts are called happy endings, you know? Like, food, the food is serious, but, you know, you don't ever take yourself too seriously. You've got to really enjoy what you're doing because you do work your guts off. Well, the listeners, you probably have gathered that there's a large part of success here because Jess herself has a huge personality and a great sense of humor and also um, it, you, you appreciate really delicious food, which sometimes goes in and out of fashion, but this has been your focus for all these years. No, absolutely. And I'm a big, like, I don't really, I really tr- try not to follow fashions as such. Like, it's only recently we've been going through 10 kilos of curly parsley at the moment. Because I was like, you know what? Fuck flat leaf parsley. Curly parsley tastes better than flat leaf parsley. Why are we using flat leaf parsley for it? I was like, I like curly parsley. And when I said to the lads, pick bunches of curly parsley off that bush because I want to garnish something with it. They all looked at me like I was batshit crazy. But it works. And, you know, I took a photo of it. And put it on Instagram of all places the other day. And I got something like 282 likes within like two and a half minutes. And then a few comments underneath going, oh, thank God for that. You know, because like food is fashion, but like, I mean, whatever. I've always loved um, things that are absolutely naff, like cake, gooseberries, curly leaf, parsley. I've always loved loveage and sage and all the kind of weird stuff that, you know, goes around and comes around. Do you grow this stuff? Do you have a garden? I um, we do have a little um, garden on the roofs of our sheds at home, but then we also work with Lockborough Organic Farm out in Offaly, which is, I mean, we get the best bog carrots, we get amazing turnips, and then we, we cook with all the turnip tops. So we do like a collard green turnip top, top dish. Um, you know, they grow all our potatoes. Because in Ireland, I think it's really important. One thing that Kevin Thornton always taught me was uh, the potatoes are really important you know the potato varieties stick with the queens you know stick with the waxy ones and you know waxies in summer and then flowers in winter and it's really important to the Irish culture and I know I mean we boil all our potatoes and seaweed every night but I mean potatoes for me like are the most beautiful thing in Ireland I, I like those, what are the Jersey, Royal, Jersey Royals are my favorite things, but they have that flavor profile. If you're boiling yours in seaweed, yes. that's what the uh, Jersey Royals do, you know, with the salty yes. sea salt thing. Yeah. Um, you go around a lot. Um, you say you're not influenced by trends, but you do pick up what's going on in the, in the wide, wide world. Um, tell me, like, what this mad conference was like in Copenhagen, and what did you you pick and choose what you pick up and bring back, right? Absolutely, I think it's it's all part of the learning experience. You know, like I'm kind of it, w- it was all based on gender equality and the Me Too movement, um, which was quite interesting. Um, we had amazing, amazing talks, and actually, one of the biggest talks that was the most amazing talk was one with a, from a young guy that was um, basically selling coffee um, and making coffee routes 
where he was from in Rwanda for Starbucks. And, you know, chefs always turn their nose up at, like, big giant companies and we're, like, we're too cool to be involved with any of that or, you know, oh, God, no, that's got fake flavours or whatever. We all know MSG is fucking delicious. Um, but, you know, like, and one of, the talk, one of my favourite talks was that talk in particular. <laughs> and, like, I mean, there was amazing speakers there. Um, I really learned a lot from it. I actually learned quite a lot from Freya as well, which was the conference, the, the Nordic uh, female conference, which is back, backing mad, back-to-back conference. Um, but yeah, I just, from mad, I just really learned that I had to up my style game because Copenhagen is pretty trendy. Now, now when you go to these, um, did you find that you, you make a lot of connections? I mean, there's, so, there's connections in the, this industry are so important. Um, and you have to be able to, to play on and build on these connections. Do you get benefit from this? Um, I think networking is always really important. And obviously being yourself is really important too while you're networking. Because, you know, I don't know, it's it's kind of, it's, it's a hard world. Like, and, um, you know, people talk about investors and all that. I mean, like, we open Kai with three euros Ten in the bank account. <laughs> in our bank account, and you know, people were like, you know, we got in a bit of trouble, so we borrowed some money off investors. We're like, holy shit, that would never happen to us. We'd be like, we'd have to sell the car, um, you know, that kind of way. So it's 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 kind of hard, um, but you know, you meet, you know, um, like-minded fools as such. You know, that have restaurants like you, like you know, the best people that I've ever met were the two girls from Alaska from the Two Sisters Bakery. You know, they're the most real women I know. And whenever I'm in a bit of a crisis, I'll always, like, give, drop them a text or say, girls, you know, uh, what are you guys up to? And one will be fixing an ice machine that's broken down. I'll be unblocking a toilet with a wire coat hanger. Um, you know, Best Chef in Ireland, 2018. Here I go again, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's you know, the realness of it all. Then you're taking me back to trying to envision how you took me back to. I know about that stuff with running a restaurant. But anyhow, um, how did you get from New Zealand to uh, Galway, from whatever you were born into, to owning a restaurant? Just briefly tell our listeners. Um, okay, so I grew up in the middle of nowhere in, in New Zealand. It takes me 32 hours to get home from here. Um, that's non-stop traveling. Um, so I fly into Auckland. I have another hour flight, and then I have a two-hour drive. Uh, small town, really um, huge troubles in the 80s with gangland stuff going on. And my dad was my dad was a local fire chief, and it was 55% Maori town. So me and my cousins were the whiteies in school and grew up, and we had such an amazing, amazing childhood. Um, so all my life since I was nine years old, my brother told me about Michelin. I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to be a Michelin. He said, these chefs that are in Michelin, which is a tire company, they're like the Navy SEALs in cooking. And I was like, oh, I want to be one of them. That's who I want to be. From then on, didn't care. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. All my life, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So from then on, like at 10 or 11, um, well, from basically 8 
to 11, constantly watch Julia Childs, Julia Childs, Julia Childs, Julia Childs. There's even videos of me when I was a kid mimicking her. Um, so, you know, from her to, and then uh, um, Coluccio, what was his name? Antonio Coluccio. So watching Antonio Coluccio on a Saturday morning on TV, getting the walnuts in Tuscany or wherever he was, I was like, right, whatever I do now, I have to get to Europe. And so I went through culinary college. I left school at 15, started washing dishes. They let me in culinary college a year earlier um, because they could see the drive that I had because I was washing dishes in a 120-seater. Um, a 16-year-old girl, and um, I never remember being so proud of myself when I learned how to fan a strawberry. I swear to God, that moment in my life was unbelievable. Uh, squirty cream and that fan strawberry on a microwave Mississippi uh, mud cake that I microwaved for 15 seconds was the most groundbreaking culinary thing that I've ever done in my career because that really switched some light on. So then I got a one-way ticket from New Zealand to... Western Australia. I didn't have a suitcase. Mum and Dad bought me a suitcase on my birthday. It was 1999. I left, met my husband in Western Australia in Kalgoorlie, and then moved to Wales because he, his mum is Welsh and his family are in Wales. Um, worked with the most amazing people in Wales, and then thought I'm going to go home to New Zealand because I'm sick of like living over here. I don't think it's all that cracked up to be, you know, whatever I thought it was going to be. You know, I hardly made it to Italy. It was a bit of a buzzkill, really. And then I went home, and then I was like, tuna anchovies is $27. I can't live in this country. I can't live here. David, I have to go, and I have to go and work for this guy. And I've looked it up, and him up, and his name is Kevin Thornton. He's in the world's top 50. He has two Michelin stars. He's in Ireland. He's in Dublin. You have an Irish passport. I need to go there. And so I went and worked there for a year. And then, obviously, that's how I came to Ireland. Now, uh, you you found a certain mentor in um, um, Massimo Bottura and Laura for the um, sustainability issues, right? Yes. What do you do in your restaurant for that? Um, so we joined this organization called the Sustainable Restaurant Association of the UK, well, basically, it's UK, but they basically weigh all our rubbish. So all our rubbish bins, all our waste is absolutely... It got weighed for six months. All our wastage, like all our chemicals changed. All, I mean, everything from the toilet paper to the blue towel that we used to wipe down the surfaces, everything changed. And, I mean, obviously, uh, Mazimo is the big name, but my forever sweetheart that really made me was Lara, his wife. Um, who's like, who's just been such a mentor to me, you know, like, and she's such a busy lady and, you know, I'll probably see her once every two years or something and she still remembers my name and, you know, for me that's a, it's, it's a real, you know, it's a real love thing, like, she's she's just absolutely amazing. What, what year was this when you went all off with sustain, sustainability and were mentored by Laura? Um, so we were, we were in the first edition of Bread is Gold, so um, so I, it's a recent book, like, so I think 2000 and, what, 17, 16? Yes. 16, maybe? I think the oh, book was, 17. 17 was released. So we're we're actually, at the moment now, we're ranked one of the top 20 sustainable restaurants um, in Europe, and then also there's 
three of us in Ireland, which happen to be three of us from Galway. So there's us, a restaurant called Loam, and there's also a, a, a culinary college catering thing. So, yeah, we're all ranked um, the most sustainable in Europe. What do you do for fun? <laughs> this is your fun. <laughs> what do I do for fun? Um, <laughs> I listen to really cheesy 80s rock most of the time on records. Um, I walk the dogs. Um, I'd like to say that I normally do something with food. <laughs> you know, like either go out and see a supplier or go and visit... Um, Fingal Ferguson in West Cork or go and stay with a supplier which has kind of become my family really mm-hmm. Well we, we love you as you know and I, I'm so happy that, that actually not just communicate to uh, social media but to actually be in your restaurant again uh, and being with you again uh, so I really I'm so thrilled to see you again and thank you for talking to us Thanks so much Anne means a lot Jim you notice Peter got a word in edgeways. That, that, that's all I have to say, Dave. I, I'm going to come to your house and eat spaghetti bolognese with you. And I was like, um, he was like, what time will you finish? I was like, I don't know, 6.30. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. So made new friends, not new people, and made new friends at this conference, uh, including Heather Flaherty, who we loved right off and went to her shop, her cafe, the next day. Yeah, the very the very next day. That's not like we're usually busier than that. <laughs> so, but anyhow, um, we, we thoroughly enjoyed it and listened to Heather. Uh, Heather Flaherty, you a fine old Irish name, but you're in fact not Irish at all. You're Canadian. It's true. Yeah, I, I've adopted the Canadian, the Irish accent and the Irish name <laughs> since since I arrived 15 years ago. Well, you were born and raised in um, uh, Saskatchewan, and tell us the story. You came here for a holiday. Yeah, so I, after university, um, I, just looking for a bit of an adventure, two of my girlfriends were coming to Ireland for for the summer to work, and so I just decided about two weeks before we left, I said, I'm coming with you. So I came, and I, I, we were in Dublin for a while, and Galway, and we tried the, um, and then we went to the Iron Islands, and that's where I really fell in love with, with Ireland, on the west coast, this this kind of Gaeltacht area where there's real kind of authenticity, and the Irish language is still is still dominant, and uh, it's just rugged and and beautiful. Well, how did you get attracted, um, not to Ireland or to your husband? Um, but to food in general, the industry, were you exposed to it before? Uh, that's a great question. I grew up with food in my house as, as a staple of, of every day, of every meal, you know, being homemade, being um, made with love, real wholesome food. And um, my mother, and I was always in the kitchen with my mother or my grandmother, but my mother said to me, don't become a chef. 
don't become a chef. She wanted me to be a physio. And, um, and I just eventually had to follow my passion. I had worked in kitchens on and off through university and, um, uh, you know, summer jobs. And eventually I said, if I want this to be a career, I, I need to get trained. So I actually went to um, the Catering College in Galway, GMIT, uh, and I did a degree. They have a joint degree in business and culinary arts. And because uh, I knew I wanted my own place, I wanted it to be, you know, kind of business orientated and with food. And uh, so I didn't listen. I usually listen to my mom. I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at that, but I didn't follow her advice there. Well, now we're in your cafe. Um, it's cafe daytime, um, breakfast, lunch, um, all day menu. And it's called. Ah, I'm going to do Gaelic. Bulin Blaster? Yeah, that's pretty close. It's Bulin Blaster. So it means the tasty loaf. Um, we're a bakery as well as a cafe, so we make um, seven different types of bread every day. Uh, we have, you know, freshly baked um, scones and treats, cookies. Uh, our, our dessert counter is always laden with... with all sorts of tempting treats. Uh, we like to do healthy options as well. We have a few vegan options, sugar-free options, dairy-free, uh, so that people feel like they're getting a bit of a treat, even if they're trying to hold back a bit, you know. Uh, no, you also... Uh, yes. Well, you, al you also make um, condiments, and you produce them yourself and sell them. Yeah, so every... Absolutely anything that we can make in-house is made in-house, including our salad dressings, our chutneys, um, and, uh, and a range of stuff. So we just started, a few years ago, started bottling them. Uh, we do a pineapple chili chutney, red onion and tomato relish, an apple and almond chutney. We do four different types of dressings, and our latest uh, addition to the line is smoked onion mayonnaise, which is as delicious as it sounds. It's good on almost anything and has become already become in Galway a bit of a cult classic. So the plan is to get those um, to get those in shops nationwide in the next in the next few years. Well, you're a smart cookie. I mean, you, you've good business sense, I can tell. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit. Our listeners love um, what I call food porn. Tell us details of like. Tell us about your famous sausage roll. Uh, so the sausage roll is made with primarily pork meat. We like there's a kilo of pork in uh, in every roll. Like we make big rolls and cut them up in every roll. And the only additions are flavorings, uh, onion and and pistachios. Uh, they're very popular. We can only cook a certain amount a day, and they always sell out by lunchtime. So much to the disappointment of some of our guests, but they know now to come in to come in early if they want to if they want to guarantee a sausage roll. And we serve that with our red onion tomato relish, just for that ex that kind of savoriness and sweetness to go to balance out the rich the richness of the of the sausage roll. Well, you have um, uh, sambas, which are sand sandwiches. Um, you have uh, quiches. You have salads. I had the salad. Uh, uh, what what all was in that was it? Oh, the smoked mac, uh, smoked um, mackerel was he heavenly. What what else? 
so the smoked mackerel is smoked on the bone. It's really juicy and uh, and it's it's not dried out and like a typical you know like most smoked mackerel can be. Uh, and we just put that in a salad with our honey mustard dressing. We add some capers to kind of cut through the richness of the uh, of the mackerel. Some potato, some hot potato wedges, an egg. So it's a balanced meal. It's high in protein, good healthy fats. Um, it's a healthy option, but it's really satisfying and, and really delicious. And Peter had your your famous vegan bolognese with lentil. <laughs> Yeah, um, that came about, I suppose, anytime I'm writing a menu, I'm always focused. I used to be vegetarian, and so I'm always very conscious of, of providing options for people who are choosing different dietary options bar, you know, bar car- carnivore. Um, so, and I know veganism has become more and more popular over the last few years. So I, I decided uh, to do some research for me. Uh, we wanted something that was really wholesome because all my food is about wholesome, craveable food. That's the type of food that I always say I like to cook. Something that you crave, that you want to come back for more. Um, and so we did. We experimented a bit with the lentils and the bolognese. We, I think what really makes it is the cashew parmesan. So we mix uh, toasted cashews with nutritional yeast and has a real kind of umami flavor and it lifts the whole dish uh, and makes it special. So that's what, actually one of our most popular dishes amongst vegans, vegetarians and carnivores alike. Well, I mean, you also have uh, new dishes every day, daily specials, soups, um, whatever have you. You have breakfast, you can have breakfast all day, which is a trend everywhere anymore. Um, you're a very good multitasker, and I guess that's going to come in handy because you're about to deliver. <laughs> is this number one? Yeah, I'm a few weeks off yet, so don't be don't be worried. <laughs> I don't think it's imminent, but uh, yeah, I I'll be leaving the cafe shortly to have my first uh, first baby. Uh, it's a baby boy, and we're very excited at home. I think it'll be a, a total shift in priorities. Uh, I'll I'm interested to see how it affects you know my my relationship with the cafe, and and I'm very good at uh, micromanaging things here and keeping an eye on everything. I think there's probably no harm in me stepping away a bit and, and letting uh, letting the place run itself. I have a great team. Uh, they work very hard for me and I have faith in them. So I just need to uh, just need to, to 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 focus I suppose on the next chapter of my life. Uh, well, we're certainly glad that we got to meet you. And um, Peter wanted to say where he's at. I think I was about to talk about the village, but you go ahead. I was actually going to claim naming rights. <laughs> I was going to claim naming rights. You're taking bribes. <laughs> taking bribes. But Peter would go very nicely with Flaherty. And you, especially if you made it O'Flaherty, which is the Irish aristocracy, right? But, but, but listeners, you, you can probably tell that this is the busiest dining room in Galway County if not the busiest restaurant in the in the whole of Western Ireland, because <laughs> and, and you can also tell that everybody's having a wonderful time. So we're so glad that we met at Food on the Edge just yesterday. 
and, and, and made a trip to Slidell. Spiddle. Spiddle. And, and don't forget to allow time when you come to Spiddle to browse the craft fair, which is what, which is what we're going to do next. You, mu you must have a website, I'm sure. Yeah, um, so we're just 20 minute drive from Galway City. Um, you can call us to, if you want to book a table uh, or check out the website. It's bullyingblaster.ie and uh, all of our, uh, our menus up there and a little bit about us if you want to find out more about us. If you're planning a trip, uh, certainly include the craft village and the cafe on your itinerary because it's not, it's not, it is something special. And that's not just because I get to come here every day that I say that. Well, you're dynamite, and good luck in all directions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I guess we wrapped up that. We um, did. <coughs> yeah, we did. We wrapped it up. We, ra we wrapped it up. We, we, did, we did Ireland. We did Ireland justice. Ireland was very kind to us. Yeah, we met some, we the met food on the people. Edge is a great new... A conference. All, all, ki conference. all kinds of good things happening, all kinds of really nice and interesting people. I'm We're always happy to be there, too. Yeah, we, we hope you enjoyed being a part of our visit to the Emerald Isle. And uh, until next week, same time, same place. Bye-bye. <laughs>